Today, we're going to continue on in in looking at Proverbs in the context of friendship. And last week, I spoke about the impediments to friendship. And then today, we'll look at some of the components of true friendship. I, I don't want you to be discouraged as you hear this, because I think it's very easy to consider all of our friendships and think, maybe, I don't think I have really good friends. I, I hope you don't walk away with that. Rather, I hope you walk away with, I want my relationships with people to grow and that I can actually grow as a friend to those around me, that there is a impact that I can make with people, but we have to be intentional about it. And I think when you evaluate all those people around you um, that you consider a friend, maybe are values of friendship or our criteria of what it means to be a friend has really not been where it should be. Or perhaps you're really struggling with friendships. Maybe you've been disappointed and discouraged. Well, Proverbs has so much to say for us. And so I don't think we should simply walk away saying, I'm not a good friend, rather to say, I want to grow in this area. And whether you are a young child or a senior, there's a lot that we can truly take into our hearts to grow in this area. And it's such a crucial area for us because as God created Adam and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable. So he creates Eve. It's not just a wife, but it's a companion, a dear one, someone who's going to walk this journey together. And it's not just about marriage. It's about life together in community with friends and dear friends. So I hope you'll see that as we're pursuing friendship, that we want more for it than simply someone to, you know, to travel with or to play basketball with or to watch television with. It's it's actually someone who's going to capture our hearts in a way. We'll look at four components of friendship. Three are from Proverbs, one is from the Gospel of John. First is faithfulness. We see in chapter 17, verse 17 of Proverbs, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. There is no more essential characteristic of a friend than faithfulness. If you can find this in a person, you have found someone special. This phrase, if you look at verse 17, in the Hebrew, that phrase, at all times, is actually in the front of the sentence. And the writer of Hebrews puts it there very intentionally, grammatically, to show, to emphasize, this is what a friend is like, a true friend, that at all times they love. Obviously, that means not just in times of joy and ease, but in times of difficulty and hardship. Not just in difficulty and hardship, because, you know, it's actually pretty... Uh, relatively, um, no, I wouldn't say easy, but it is uh, uh, it's, it's, uh, possible to be a very dear friend when someone is suffering from, let's say, cancer, and you see them suffering, so you wanna, you're going to give more during that time. That's actually not what friendship should go to. It's actually when you're in the middle of a conflict with one another. With a, a husband and wife, We can't just simply say, I'm going to separate from you because it's too hard. We shouldn't do that. Divorce is not something that is the end road between a husband and a wife. It shouldn't be according to scripture. 
But actually, friendship should be more than just simply saying, we had a rough patch, or I had a strong disagreement, or I've been hurt by you, I've been disappointed, so therefore, I think I'm going to lessen my relationship with you. You're not going to be a close friend. You're now going to be a friend, a acquaintance. And that tiering of friendship so often says a lot about our view of what a friend should be. Because here we see a friend loves at all times. Paul describes this love in 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So that's love, according to Paul. You know why Paul says that? Not because he had this love first, but because God loved him with this love. That's called covenantal love, a love based on a contract. Uh, and contract might sound so uh, sort of staid and very dry, but in actuality, to have that type of love where you're going to commit, you're going to covenant, you're going to sign on the dotted line and say, I will not leave you. I will not leave you at any time. It's the type of love that God had with us. Paul describes this love in Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then John describes this love this way in 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So how does God love us? He loves us by demonstrating it, by showing us, not when we were loving to him, but actually while we were against him, as enemies of him, rebellious against him, not wanting to be with him. So God shows love to us this way. And then he says, well, you, you have to love this way too. It's, it's a way in which you show you truly are having this type of faithful, committed love. Proverbs 27.10 describes it this way. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend. Forsake is a throwaway word. You know, it's, it's abandon, leave behind. And the condition upon which we are to stay steadfast as friend is not when they're well to us or they do treat us well, but actually even when there's abandonment, even when there's forsakenness, don't forsake them. Don't give up. Keep on pressing on. When you've been severely disappointed, if you can overcome such times through faithfulness, if you can fight for that friendship, then out of friendship, a brother or sister is born for adversity. And that's what Proverbs 17, 17 says. Author Drew Hunter comments this way. He says, suffering is the great relationship revealer. We often learn how strong a friendship is when we don't have anything to give. We also find out what kind of friends we are when a friend can't give anything to us. So when you are in a conflict with one another, that's the friendship revealer. Everyone is great friends when there's no conflict. But if you want to know who your friends truly are, have a conflict with them. Okay, don't, don't actually actively go out and do it, but it will happen over time. Someone is going to let you down. Someone is going to hurt you. Someone is going to fail you. And when that happens, it's going to reveal whether you have a true friendship or at the very least a shallow friendship. Not a, maybe even a false friendship. Maybe you've never been, you were truly never friends to begin with. 
for some of us, perhaps there are seasons of life for friendship. You have certain type of friends here and then you move away and you go and you have different friends. And um, for those of you who are married, you have uh, bridesmaids and groomsmen. How many of those bridesmaids and groomsmen today you would consider to be your dearest friends? Because after all, that's why we chose them as bridesmaids and groomsmen. And if some of them, you say, I never want to see them again. Or maybe they were always just acquaintances to begin with. And if all your groomsmen and bridesmaids were acquaintances or people you sort of knew, but you just, you couldn't find your wife had five and you had to match it and you, you didn't have enough people. So now you're like scraping from the bottom of the barrel of friends, right? Because, <laughs> oh, I only have two. The other three I barely know, but I'm going to choose them anyway. Doesn't that say something? I mean, that should say something to you. And it's not, oh, I, it's, it's all everyone else's fault because they're just not good people. I'm pretty good, but they're not. It actually says, maybe I don't understand friendship. I don't understand relationship. Or maybe we say, I don't need it, which is just as problematic because clearly scripture shows we need one another. It is possible also to have many dear friends. I do think for some of us, we tend to think, okay, I have enough. I have like three and that's perfect. I don't need any more. But again, that limits our view, not just of people, but of God himself. Jesus said in John 15, 15, no longer do I call you servants. I have called you friends. So he says that in John 15, 15, what happens? Go further on in the gospel of John or in Matthew 26, 27, 28. What happens to his friends? You know what? They all abandon him. At his greatest hour of need, right, where he is literally about to lose his life, he's being persecuted, he's being unjustly wronged, and all of his friends are gone. They've abandoned him. In fact, Peter, who is supposed to be his best friend because he's the self-proclaimed bestie, you know, Matthew 26, 33, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. So he says, I'm going to be the most faithful. And yet the spotlight goes red hot on him. And so when he denies Jesus three times and hears the rooster crow, suddenly he realizes, wow, I've failed. And Jesus at the very last hour of his life, where were his friends? So did that mean that Jesus made a mistake when he called them friends? No. You know what, actually? It means that Jesus knew that he would be abandoned and rejected, and yet his friendship with them could still sustain that. It can overcome it. That's the power of the gospel of Christ when, in regard to friendship. And we see this as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 18, 19, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. One of the key components to any type of friendship that is going to be lasting and true is reconciliation. That's actually all relationship, husband and wife, parents and children, friend to friend, reconciliation. Because reconciliation assumes sin and brokenness, right? You don't need to be reconciled if there's no conflict and sin 
and brokenness. When you have two messed up people who acknowledge that they are messed up and they need a savior and they're going to look for a savior in Christ, then we recognize, oh, he reconciled us to God and therefore that power, that reality is going to now stir me to activate and initiate reconciliation towards my friend. I will not give up on them. I'll press on to actually reconcile. I do think also we sometimes um, limit our reconciliation. We say, okay, I'll reconcile only this much, but they've let me down. You know, in Jesus, if you only knew how much they, they really let me down and, and abandoned me and discouraged me, if you only knew that, well, you know, Jesus knows that. None of us will let our friend down more than the disciples let Jesus down. And yet, through the reconciliation of the Father, reconciling the disciples and us to God himself through Christ and his shed blood, Jesus, every one of those disciples, the book of Acts shows how intimate their relationship with Jesus was, reconciled fully, true friendship, that went even to death. So we must never think that a friendship is beyond reconciliation. There might be times of tension, distance even, but never lose sight and lose hope of the possibility of reconciliation because God is faithful to us, we can be faithful to others. The second component is honesty. Chapter 24, verse 26. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. And then chapter 27, verses five and six. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. The word honest is a geometric term. It means straight line. So rather than taking divergent paths and trying to sort of come up with nice ways to say something without actually coming up and saying it, you just take the straight line and say, here's my challenge with you. This, whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. There's an intimacy to it. I don't know if any of us really think of honesty and intimacy interconnected and intertwined. But it really does show the depth of a relationship when two friends can be honest with one another. If you really can't, if you always have to hide or sort of code over your words with niceties and never really come out and say the challenges that you have with a person, that probably shows your relationship with that person is not as deep as you think it is. Proverbs says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Paul describes it this way in Ephesians 4.15, we speak the truth in love. And if, if you're going to show a person physical affection, you're going to give gifts, you're going to spend time with them, but you refuse to say your honest heart to them ever, there's never an instance where you're actually going to be direct with them. Of course, graciously, kindly, but directly, truthfully, then it probably again shows that your relationship with that person, though you might say, well, we spend all this time together. We do so many activities together. We have common interests. We have common loves, but you're not deep. It's, a, it's still a shallow relationship because you're not honest with one another. You can't be. And you're more concerned about what that person thinks about you in saying what you do than you do about that person's care and protection. And if we're, 
if we're unwilling to speak that truth, give words of correction, then perhaps we just don't really have the relationship that we think we do. That's not depth at all. You know, there's an ego that every one of us has, pride. Pride needs to be killed. Not because in and of itself, it actually means that you, you're, you're nothing to say. In the end, to God, you, you are special. He paid a price for you. But the problem is that it's a displaced pride. We're not proud in what Christ has done for us. We're proud in ourselves. And that hides us and it keeps us from ever experiencing what God has for us. And so having friends along in this journey who are actually pointing out areas of growth for you is the means by which we can actually experience the fullness of what God wants for us. But we have to have people who care deeply about that for us. Next is depth, another, a third component of true friendship. In chapter 20, verse 5, Proverbs says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. If you've ever gone snorkeling or gone into the deep parts of the ocean and you get dumped in, and I, this happened to me when I, on our honeymoon, we were in Hawaii and we, like, you know, they, we went snorkeling and I didn't know what it was about at all. I'd never gone in my life. And they took us on a boat to this one deep area and they said, all right, just go on in. And so we go in and I'm, I'm not an ocean person. So you go deep down and they said, you could see sea turtles down there. But all I heard was my, <sighs> the breath. And the more I heard myself breathing, the more panicky I felt. And I looked around and all it was was deep. And that sense of foreboding deepness, I just said, forget it. I'm going back to the boat. The depth of the ocean, and for those of you who love the ocean, it's great. As far deep as you think you can go, it just goes deeper and deeper. And in that depth, there is mystery. There's clouds you could barely see. And this is what the Proverbs writer is describing the hearts of all of us, that we are like deep ocean hearts. And every time you think you've gone deep, there's actually deeper. And every time you go to that next level of depth, there's actually deeper. If you're willing to sit and to listen, and to care, and to be patient with a person, you will keep on going deeper and deeper and deeper as you live life together. And along with that depth comes a lot of unknowns, just like the ocean. A shark comes out of nowhere. You know, suddenly, you're going deep in with the person, and then they say, I don't want to be, get away from me. What are you trying to do? I had a friend who I was in, a, we were close friends. At least I thought so, actually. And we were roommates. And one, we, we had numerous conversations about theology, about the Lord. It just seemed so deep. We were going to a conference, and this conference was about, it was a 10-hour drive to Toronto from the Boston area. And as I was going, I, happened, I just started asking questions about his life, his family. And suddenly... This friend that I thought I knew so well, I realized I didn't know him at all. Because once I touched certain nerves, he got incredibly angry. And he, he said, don't ask any more about that ever again. And he said that to me. And I was sort of taken aback, thinking, 
what did I do? But what I did was I was trying to go in, in this ocean of depth, I was trying to go a little bit deeper. And as I was going deeper, it touched on a nerve, an area, a secret place of his heart that he didn't want anyone to know. And I have a feeling to this day, it's still unknown. And sometimes when you go alongside with a person, that can happen. But look at what Proverbs says here is, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Now, what does that mean? It means that it assumes effort and care. Like if you actually care, you're going to keep on trying and you're going to show grace. And that's the problem is eventually I just said, all right, you're going to treat me that like that. All right. I, I guess we'll, that's what we're going to be like. I'm not going to be, I know where I am with you and that's it. And we, we never connected after that. But that said not just a lot about him, but about me too. It showed that actually I didn't want that as well. I thought I did. It was pretentious to think I did. But in the end, I wasn't willing to sacrifice what it would take, which is more conversations, more prayer, more love, more mercy, more grace. Was I willing to do that? No. I didn't want to go through the effort. And it really, again, reveals. But once you start going down that road with people, you start doing that with everyone. And eventually, all of your relationships are shallow. And so again, and I've shared this numerous times, but as we get older and as we age, if all of your relationships are shallow, do not be surprised if at the end of your days, you're alone. Because people eventually grow tired of being shallow. And they say, well, I have all these people. I don't know you, and you don't seem to want to make any more effort than what you do. So I'll just say bye-bye to you, and you seem okay with that. And the lonely person is the one who has constantly said goodbye to everybody because I don't need you. So it takes this man of understanding is going to persist. It's going to be kind, compassionate, gracious, tactful, discerning with words, but will not give up and won't just settle for, how are you doing? Fine. Thank you. All right. I did my job. I'll go to the next person. And too often are those the relationships that we are cultivating. I really, to ask the question of how can I pray for you? What are some needs that you have that I can help and support you with? Being willing to sacrifice, give of yourself so that you will be there for that person. That depth is important. Now, here's the pitfall of depth. The pitfall of depth is that if all you want is depth, but it's not depth rooted in Christ, but depth rooted in your need of a person or to be needed, there's a psychological term that's used so often, it's called codependency. But really that's nothing more than describing a biblical idea, which is that of idolatry. Is I am actually so enthralled and wanting depth or wanting that person that I'm actually idolizing the person. They satisfy me. Their needs, their wants, their hurts, their pains, and me as the rescuer or the savior of that person loves feeling that type of need. That's not the depth that the Lord is talking about here and Proverbs is talking about here. And we do have to keep in mind that the depth that is provided is ultimately rooted in Christ, not essentially in the person. And so we can overcompensate by just devoting ourselves way too much where 
the needs of that person becomes our needs and our desire to save them, to redeem them, which is never our role in relationship. We, not, we are never the savior. We're never the redeemer. We're a pointer. We show, we highlight. Like the, the sun and the moon, we reflect. You know, the moon doesn't have any light in it itself. It reflects light. And that's who we are. We're reflectors of the light of God through Christ. And in that relationship, we're always pointing people to Christ, not to ourselves and not to that person. So too much depth and then too little depth is problematic where if we are a Christian and the other person is a Christian, there should be no reason why we are unwilling to talk about Christ together. If it is awkward to talk about Jesus with another Christian, Something is seriously wrong with your friendship. I really want to say that again. If it is awkward and you never talk to another Christian friend about Christ and your relationship to him and how they're doing with him, then it's showing a real faultiness in your relationship. And there is no depth, not ultimate depth. Remember, there are layers. But the foundational depth of the human being is our relationship to God. We are created in his image. That's who we are, every human being. And as St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in thee. So if I have a relationship with a person who is a believer of Christ, and I cannot talk to them about Jesus because we never talk about Jesus. We only talk about basketball. We only talk about knitting. <laughs> you know, we only talk about the stock market. Then Actually, that's not a Christian relationship at all. That's no different than having an encounter with anyone in this world. And there's no depth and no true friendship to that. It has to go deeper. So it starts with you, not the other person. You have to be the one who says, hey, how are you doing with the Lord? You know, I, I, I want to grow together in Christ. Can we memorize scripture together? Hey, what are you learning in in your quiet time, in your devotional life. Oh, I'm not having it. I haven't had it in a while. Hey, how can I support you in that? If we can't be honest with ourselves as believers of Christ and actually share those type of conversations, then you have to ask the question, do I have a Christian friend here? It might be because you have a non-Christian friend. And at least that makes more sense. Oh, they're, they go to church, but they're not really a believer of Christ. But if, it, if they're believers then you should be able to ask that question. So Christians seek depth. We actually, human beings do. It's also the reason why we talk to non-believers about Christ, because there is a longing in their heart. Tim Keller shares about the time that he was, and I've shared this before, where, and it's so influenced the way that I think about relating to non-Christians. He talked about how he was um, giving a message to doctors at uh, Columbia Presbyterian um, in um, New York City. And they invited him because doctor, he said, doctors just don't know how to talk about death too much. All they talk about is saving people. That's their job. But they don't really talk about death to their patients too often. And so they invited him, who talks about death, to come and talk to them. And he said, and this is, he's talking to non-Christians, and he said, I want you to know that every human being has an essential need. And what you need to do is tie into that need. 
Now, let me tell you how that need is fulfilled. And then he went on to share the gospel. But that's really every human being. We all have needs, Christian or non-Christian alike, because we're created with this God-shaped vacuum that only God can fill. And so therefore, we are encountering friends with that God-shaped vacuum, whether they know Christ or not. If they know Christ, we should feel free to talk to them about Jesus. If they don't know Christ, we talk to them about their need. And we say, my friend, I, I want you to know there's something deeper in my heart that actually gives me that joy that persists even through hardship and through trial. So depth of relationship, it can happen. Um, I shared this last time, but you know, as you can see from just the videos and Pastor Gabi, I've known him for about six years. We've never had a single face-to-face, unhalting conversation. It has been, verbally, it's one of the most difficult conversations I have with people. Is His English is as, maybe his English is a little bit better than my Spanish, which actually says, says a lot about our inability to communicate. Can you imagine being unable to talk, and yet when he essentially broke his neck and he was lying in bed and he was really wrestling with ministry and life. And I just used Google Translate and I basically typed him just these huge words of through scripture, encouragement, prayed for him, blessed him, and he would write back to me. And one of the things he said after that time is he said, you know, we can't even speak the same language. We can't even speak the same language, but there is an intimacy of what you shared with me through God's word that supersedes even language. I don't know if I can emphasize this enough, but what brings about depth is never going to be um, your common interests, common language, common culture. You can be completely different with another person, but if you have Christ, You can have the deepest, most intimate relationship possible and soul satisfying. It it just crosses all boundaries of language, culture, ethnicity, but it's all rooted in Christ. And we have to see, see that to be true. So if you want better friendship, start talking about Jesus. You might turn off some people, but those people were always going to be turned off. But you're going to find that some people are going to say, I was waiting for you to do that. I need that. The last component is sacrifice. John 15, 12 through 14. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So Jesus here defines for us what a friend is. A friend lays down his life. A friend sacrifices. Most of us will not be called to lay down their life for their friend. But some of you are called, all of us are called to lay down our lives in some sense for our friends. Lay down our ego, our time commitments. Lay down our resources. Um, Lay down whatever it is Sometimes someone is going to say, I need you. And it's going to be the most inconvenient thing. But are you willing to persist? 
laying down your life. I can tell you that for those of us who are, have a common interest, work is such a common interest, or maybe a, a mission trip, common interest, and it's really substantial. But we can never place our hope in the common interest or goal as what really roots our friendship. I read a book recently by John Krakauer, uh, Into Thin Air, and some of you might have read this. He was a journalist, and he climbed Mount Everest with a group of people. Uh, there was a, a numerous, literally four, different, four or five different teams that climbed Mount Everest at this time. And when they did so, it led to some really terrible results because a number of people died on that trip. This is what he wrote, and he evaluated his team. And he said this, There were more than 50 people camped on the call that night, huddled in shelters, pitched side by side, yet an odd feeling of isolation hung in the air. The roar of the wind made it impossible to communicate from one tent to the next. In this God-forsaken place, I felt disconnected from the climbers around me, emotionally, spiritually, physically, to a degree I hadn't experienced on any previous expedition. We were a team in name only. I'd sadly come to realize. Although in a few hours we would leave camp as a group, we would ascend as individuals, linked to one another by neither rope nor any deep sense of loyalty. Each client was in it for himself or herself pretty much, and I was no different. What I found striking about this is that they were doing this incredible task, which is to climb Mount Everest. They actually needed one another. You know, as they were making this climb up, if someone was faltering, they wouldn't stop and help the person. Because in their mind, they're, they're paid $60,000 to make this climb. And so they're thinking, nothing's going to stop me from doing this, including the lives of the people around me. And because of that, all these people lost their lives because everyone was in it for themselves. And I look at this and I think this is such a, a, like a, a wonderful but terrible metaphor of what we think of when we think of friendship. We think as long as we have a common mission or goal, we can truly be the best of friends. If we're all in high school together and I just want to be part of that group, if I could just be a part of that group of people, then we're gonna be the best of friends in life together. But we will tear each other apart to get to that place. We will abandon one another or others to get to that place. That's a tragedy. And I think so often we so want to be a part of a group because they're the cool people, they're the wealthy people, they're the people of status, they're gonna help me in my career. And so, we long to that, get to that group, but it's all in for myself. It's all about me. I don't care what happens to anyone else. And we might not even say that, but in our heart of hearts, we're abandoning people. We're leaving people behind. We're cutting them off. And in the wake is death and destruction, loneliness, sadness. This is exactly the opposite of what true friendship is like, according to Jesus according to John 15, 12 to 14. If you want to have better friends, deny yourself. Sacrifice for others. Give of yourself, your time, your efforts. Again, like maybe just it's on my heart. When I think of, I think when we were planning this trip to, uh, to visit Gabi and he said, I'm gonna take in seven, you know, uh, 13 people 
in our heart of hearts, we kept on thinking, this is, I, this is just temporary, right? We kept on saying it over to over again. To I said it to him. You're, you're just doing this temporarily, right? And he kept on saying, no, this is my family. And I'd say, no, 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 that doesn't make sense. You can't do How are you going to provide food for them? How are you going to care for all their needs? And he'd always say, the Lord's going to take care of it. And I'd be like, come on, I know that to be true, but really? Like, do you, you got to have a plan, right? You got to have a plan. And he'd always say to me, you know, Sam, you Americans, you always have to have a plan. You know, you have to have a strategy. You have to, like, have the boxes checked. And God's going to just take care of it. I'm like, no, no, no. I need to. I don't understand. But it's because he takes John 15, 12 to 14 to heart. You know, he really believes it. He actually says, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And I'm just going to obey because Jesus says, obey that. And when you obey it, you're going to be obeying me. And when you obey me, you're going to experience abundant life, fruits, things that you cannot experience without actually taking that step. Proverbs 18.24 says, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates, he shows us, he, he models it. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you want to be a good friend? All times, be that friend. Remember Christ. You know what? You're going to fail. So am I. So these four components, you try your best, you're going to absolutely fail. You'll, you'll succeed sometimes, but then you're going to fail and others are going to fail you. And you're going to say, oh, you see, I tried. It didn't work. No, you missed it then. Because it's know you're going to fail, but know that someone has never failed you. Because that someone, God himself through his son, paid a price to make sure that you will always be loved by him, never forsaken, never thrown away. He's always faithful to you. With that as a reality, then you press forward and say, well, if God did that for me, I can continue on, even when it's hard. That's a true friend. That's a faithful friend. May you strive to remember what he has done for you so that you can be that friend for others. Let's pray. Father, we turn to you and we ask that you would cause us to see that there is no one like you and, um, and that you are the one who is the true and faithful friend. And so we ask, O oh Lord, that when we see our own hearts falter in our relationships, sometimes because of others, sometimes because of us, usually it's because of both, Help us not to turn to our own willpower because willpower always falls short. Help us to remember what you did for us, what you did for the apostles, that you said greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And knowing that to be true is what keeps us, what keeps us together. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name, amen.